Welcome to Screen Facts with Jason Davis. Listen to the podcast every Wednesday for a discussion and trivia about a different film. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Thanks, Kim. And joining me on the podcast this week, two guests. This is kind of cool, actually. My wonderful and beautiful and amazing wife, Sue. (gasps) Thanks, honey. And my equally amazing stepson, Tommy. Stop it. The moots in the house. Hi. We are, uh, (laughs) this is exciting because we are going to talk about a movie that has been uh, enjoyed by now two generations in this household multiple times. The new Star Wars film is going to be arriving in theaters. So we thought we would talk about Star Wars, the original Star Wars, episode four, A New Hope. Tom, I'm going to go to you first. When was the first time you saw this movie? Do you remember? Uh, When I was five or six. I was in kindergarten, I think. Okay, you're 14 now. So what was your first impression of this movie when you first saw it? I was blown away. It was really cool because, you know, you got to see everything like this whole new movie. Even like back then in the mid 2000s, there were a lot of special effects like modern. And then for that kind of special effects, it was really like different and cool. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was, you know, pretty cool. That's the great thing about this movie. Your mom and I, you and I saw this movie when it first came out in the theaters. That's right. I mean, it blew your mind when you first saw it. It changed movie making. There was nothing like this before. You know, it really opened the door for all kinds of, uh, of stuff afterwards. Mm-hmm. It's one of the few movies that I even remember seeing as a kid. Escape from Witch Mountain <laughs> and Star Wars. And besides that, I'm just assuming I went to every Disney movie that came out. Yeah, I mean, you know, Rocky was a big one for me as a kid, right. seeing it in the theaters. And then this was probably the next one after that that really stuck with me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, unfortunately, Tommy, you didn't have a chance to see... Star Wars in the movie theater. Have they re-released this in theaters since you've been alive? No, they only re-released episode one, The Phantom Menace, in, um, yeah, I know, (laughs) in in the new remastered whatever ILM is doing these days. And I did see that because, you know, it is Star Wars and why not? It's in the theaters. Okay. But after that, they just dropped the idea. I don't know why, but they did. So The Phantom Menace is the only Star Wars movie you've seen in theaters then? Unfortunately. Oh my God, that's fucking criminal. I know. Well, the good news for you is that we are a mere few weeks away from Episode 7 being released. And I don't know, I'm pretty excited for it. What do you think? The Force Awakens. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) I am so excited. Yeah, I think it's going to be really good too. It's going to be a whole new take because Disney's doing it. You know, they have J.J. Abrams, who's a really great director. Mm -hmm. I have high hopes. Yeah. There's, there's a couple of things that I think this movie has going for it. J.J. Abrams. Mm-hmm. Disney does not put out garbage. True. And Lawrence Kasdan wrote the screenplay for this new Star Wars movie. And he wrote Jedi and Empire Strikes Back. Okay. Oh, cool. Bring back some old blood. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Nice. So, And plus they have characters from the original series in this new movie. So, I mean, you, you know, you got to love that. Oh, my gosh. When I first saw the commercial, the trailer, and... Um, Han said Chewie were home. I just fell over. Yeah. I was crying. That pretty much, <laughs> that pretty much broke the internet, that trailer. I believe it. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, huge. All right, so Star Wars, originally released May 25th, 1977. It was scheduled for a Christmas 1976 release. Pushed back because post-production, uh, especially the special effects, took a little bit longer than expected. Okay. Not surprisingly. I think it's worth it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was worth I mean, the wait. It was definitely worth the wait. Yeah. I mean, you know, they, they did a great job. Written and directed, of course, by George Lucas. Production dates January of 1973 to April of 1977. So this was a few wow. years in the making. This wasn't like a, a thing that they just threw together. I mean, wow. And that's probably including, you know, script writing and, and figuring out how they're going to do all the special effects and sound and all that kind of stuff. Wow. 
So they filmed from March 22nd, 1976 to July 16th, 1976. And then they did some reshoots January 11th of 77 before uh, they released it. Obviously one of the most successful movies of all time. Of course. Yeah. Uh, total <laughs> lifetime gross of just under $461 million in the U.S. and just over $775 million worldwide. Now when you adjust the domestic gross for inflation, it ranks second on the all-time list behind Gone with the Wind at just under $1.5 billion. It's the first movie to gross over $300 million. And uh, not too bad, considering that they started off with a production budget of just $11 million. Just $11 million. $11 million back then was probably a lot. But, I mean, you think about what this movie has done, not only monetarily. Mm-hmm. To everything. Yeah, pop culture. Mm, yeah. The merchandising. 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 <laughs> <laughs> this movie, uh, by the way, is the only Star Wars movie to be nominated for the Best Picture Oscar, which is sort of hard to believe. When you think about how many of these movies have been made and how great they are. You'd think that Empire would have been nominated also. Yeah, no. Lucas was nominated for Best Director and for Best Screenplay written directly for the screen. Alec Guinness was nominated for Best Supporting Actor. I did not know that. I did not know that. Which is very interesting, and I'll explain why in a minute. I'm sure he didn't bother listing it on his resume afterwards, though. (laughs) Uh, The film did win a couple of Oscars. It won for Best Art Direction, Set Decoration, Best Costume Design, Best Sound, Best Film Editing, Best Effects, Visual Effects, Best Music, Original Score, and a Special Achievement Award for the Alien creature, and robot voices. You mean Leia's hair did not get nominated for anything? (laughs) Oh, gosh. (laughs) Disappointed. Yeah. Um, The music by John Williams is also ranked number one on AFI's 100 Years of Film Scores. Absolutely. So I mentioned George Lucas was nominated for the screenplay. Tommy, you were mentioning something interesting about George Lucas. Yeah, he, in high school, he failed high school English. He was not the greatest student. But he was able to graduate? Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. I'm assuming that you mean like he didn't do well in English. Mm-hmm. He eventually probably passed the class. So there's but... hope. There's a new hope for anyone <laughs> struggling in their high school English classes. Yeah. You can write a blockbuster movie someday. <laughs> Prior to the release, George Lucas showed an early cut of the film to a group of his film director friends. Brian De Palma reportedly called it the worst movie ever. <laughs> <laughs> However, Steven Spielberg correctly predicted the film would make millions of dollars. In fact, George Lucas was sure Close Encounters would outperform the yet-to-be-released Star Wars at the box office, and he proposed they trade 2.5% of the profit on each other's films. Spielberg took the trade and still received 2.5% of the profits from Star Wars. <laughs> That's not bad. That was not a bad at all. Smart move. Yeah. <laughs> In fact, George Lucas didn't even attend the premiere. He was so sure the film would flop, he decided to just go on vacation to Hawaii with Spielberg. But that worked out good because that's where they came up with the idea for Raiders of the Lost Ark. There you go. And, you know, a lot of people involved in the movie, I've heard stories of how they thought it was going to be one of those, you know, midnight showing sort of like Rocky Horror (laughs) where people are yelling shit at the screen. And, you know, you watch the movie and you could kind of see where that could happen. Yeah, but it wasn't campy. Like those other kind of films. I think it had a lot of the elements of like, you know, the old Flash Gordon stuff where it was sort of, I mean, if you if you really look at it, and, and I mean this with, with all the respect in the world, it is a little kind of corny in a lot of ways. It's, fu- it's great yeah. fun and it's very well executed and the characters are great. I really feel like the character development in the prequels is horrible. And that's why I don't think those movies are as good. You know, I mean, they all were very big successes. We cloned. Yeah. Done. 
<laughs> yeah. Control C. C. Control V. Yeah. Control C, Control V. Exactly. <laughs> what films are better? The prequels or the sequels? Yeah. Oh, definitely the sequels. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Yeah. The original three episodes, four, five, and six. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Don't worry about it. <laughs> oh, there's, there's hope for mankind. <laughs> at holidays, we would stay at my uncle's house, me, my cousins, my dad, everybody. We would all get up real early the next morning, say after Easter, just to watch Star Wars. I think we did that a few times, but I remember specifically one time we watched the movie, we were all cheering, we are all screaming, <laughs> and eventually everybody else woke up, and they told us breakfast was ready. And that was the scene that Luke was about to shoot the proton torpedoes. Oh, right at like, the climax <laughs> oh, of the film? Oh, yeah, and, <laughs> and my, my uncle... Hold those eggs! <laughs> <laughs> my uncle said... No, we can't. The Death Star scene. It's great. Yeah. Something that came out in 1977 is still a tradition, and it just transcends every other movie. It's amazing. It does. Well, it's got very classic themes to it. You know, the good versus evil. Mm-hmm. You know, the princess in distress who really isn't that much in distress. Right. Friendship. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Love and hate. <laughs> the keys to the dark side. You know, another thing that's that's kind of interesting about this movie, too, that I've noticed, and you've mentioned it, too, anytime Tommy isn't feeling well, like if he's homesick from school or whatever, this is something that I feel like almost always you'll watch. Oh, of course. Well, we have the time. Yeah, well, not only the time, but it's almost like it's kind of like a... A tradition? It's like comfort almost. food. <laughs> yeah, it's like comfort food, right? Yeah, of course. I mean, you know, watching this, you're always, you know, when you're sick, it kind of makes you feel better because you're sitting there... Lifts you, know, you up, right? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. it lifts you up. The major studios... All rejected Star Wars because at the time science fiction was not really easy to market. It wasn't it wasn't as uh, as popular, and George Lucas found a supporter in Alan Ladd Jr., who was uh, then the head of 20th Century Fox. He had been impressed with the way Lucas directed American Graffiti a couple years earlier, and eventually Ladd was the guy who greenlit this movie. So you know it's always good to know the right people too. <laughs> um, but 20th Century Fox was so sure that this film was going to be a disaster that they came within a matter of days of selling off their stake in the film as a tax shelter. You can imagine that. Whoa. <laughs> Positive feedback from an advanced screening made them change their minds, and the profits from the film ended up saving the studio from bankruptcy. So what they were going to just make a tax write-off ended up saving them, yeah. you know, which is yeah. crazy. Good job. <laughs> now, I mentioned before that Alec Guinness was nominated for Best Supporting Actor. I never realized that. I didn't either. I don't know how I missed that. I don't know. know. these years. But supposedly, Alec Guinness hated this movie <laughs> and his performance. He said that it was his idea to have Obi-Wan Kenobi killed off in the first film so he wouldn't have to, you know, say any more of those rubbish lines and oh, stuff. Oh, well. <laughs> rubbish. <laughs> and, then, and then, you know, for years after the movie, when fans would approach him and talk to him about how much they love Star Wars, he felt uncomfortable because he just didn't like the movie. He felt like he did other movies that were better. That's uh, interesting. I hate to interrupt, but yeah. I'm going to anyway, yeah. because that <laughs> reminds me of a, another podcast we were speaking of where there was someone who didn't want to be associated with the movie that he was popular for. You're talking about John Cusack I better I am, because it still bothers me. That has been cleared up, though. He, he actually, he said... I don't want to get into this. Uh, I don't want to get no. into it. I don't want to get no. off track because we got a lot to talk about. I know. I thought you were going to talk about Tom Wilson in Back to the Future. Oh. Oh, that's, that's another one too. That's another. Yeah. Listen, Isn't I'm, that interesting? I'm going to throw out a blanket statement right now to all the actors out there who don't want to be associated with their iconic roles. Guys, women, if you are fortunate enough to be part of something that is bigger than you, like Star Wars or Back to the Future, or even Better Off Dead, quite honestly, because a lot of people love that movie, mm-hmm. embrace it. 
That's yeah. that's a beautiful thing that you are are forever associated with. Oh, I'll always be remembered as Obi Wan. Where? Yeah. That is a nice problem to have, if exactly, you ask me. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. I think it's awesome. The character itself is such a great role model for he's a mentor. Yeah, he's a mentor. He gives his life. But you know, it, know. there's there's two sides to this story, and that's what I was getting to. George Lucas, Mark Hamill, Harrison Ford, and Carrie Fisher have always said that that Alec Guinness was very patient and helpful. He was very professional and respectful to the cast and crew. I can see that. Yeah, I yeah, can see that. I mean, he, and... he didn't like the dialogue. He made no secret about that. Mm-hmm. But he accepted the role because, first off, he, he really thought Lucas did a great job on American Graffiti. Mm-hmm. And he read the script, and even though he didn't really like the dialogue, he was compelled to read the whole script, even though he wasn't a fan of science fiction. So that said something Okay, to him. yeah, yeah. Because you want to know what's going to happen. Yeah, and actually, of the final film, he remarked that he found it staggering as spectacle and technically brilliant, exciting, very noisy, and warm-hearted. The battle scenes at the end go on for five minutes too long. <coughs> Superman. <laughs> oh, Man of Man Steel. Of Steel. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that's... Uh, <laughs> don't get me started on that. <laughs> but it remains a vivid experience. So I guess uh, Alec Guinness, Sir Alec Guinness, uh, eventually made peace with this. But I guess for years, he just, he just didn't want to be pigeonholed as Obi-Wan Kenobi. But hey, hey. nice problem to have, dude. Exactly. A lot of the actors had that problem. Sure. I think actually the only person in this movie that went on to success in other things is certainly Harrison Ford. Mm -hmm. To be Han Solo and Indiana Jones? (laughs) There's not a bad movie he's in. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, there is, but I know know you're talking about fanboys. Oh, my gosh. Fantastic movie. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I just I do want to just throw in a little something about fanboys here. Yes. Let's let's go ahead and mention fanboys. Because if you are a Star Wars fan... And like nostalgia and, you know, a little tug on the heartstrings, I recommend the movie Fanboys about a group of Star Wars fanboys. And it comes out in the 90s. You know, the first trilogy is done. The episode one is in the works. They're in their early 20s. Yeah. And they've had... They all grew up on on the original Star Wars movies. They find out that the new Star Wars movie is coming out and they're all excited to see it together. And then one of the guys finds out Mm -hmm. that he's dying. And they say that he's going to die before the movie's released. So they decide, well, we're going to break into Skywalker Ranch and we're going to get an early copy of the movie so you can see it before you die. Right. And so it's a quest to get across country to do that. But there's so much great Star Wars references. (laughs) I mean, the van with the R2 sticking out of it and the punch it to light speed. Oh, my gosh. And the great thing is that even if you're not a, a super Star Wars geek, like I'm not, I'm a big fan of all the Star Wars movies. Well, these three Star Wars movies. I, of course. You know, I kind of like the the prequels. <laughs> I'll clarify that. Yeah, we got it. You got to say that. I mean, whoa, I like, whoa, whoa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pump the brakes there. I like Star Wars, but um, I, I, I'm definitely not what I would call a Star Wars geek. There I are am. people. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and that's that's cool. That's why you're here tonight. Fanboys, you'll appreciate it because the the references that they make in the movie are not so obscure that you're going to be lost. Right. You know, the the pedestrian Star Wars fan like myself can enjoy it. They there also you. reference Rush. Yes. <laughs> Rush, exactly. How bad could it be? Exactly. So in early drafts of the script, R2-D2 could speak English. Crazy. And he used a lot of foul language. I can just imagine <laughs> Kenny Baker's in his little R2-D2 suit, yeah. kind of rolling around. <laughs> yeah. The word Wookiee. This is an interesting mm-hmm. one. Yes. The, the word Wookiee actually came about as a result of an accident. When San Francisco DJ Terry McGovern was doing voiceover work on THX 1138 for George Lucas, he flubbed a line and he said, I think I ran over a Wookiee back there. 
<laughs> George Lucas was confused and asked what he meant by the term. Terry admitted that he didn't know and he just said he made it up. George Lucas remembered it when writing the script for Star Wars. Boy, I, I make a lot of Wookiees on a regular basis when I do voiceovers. <laughs> so. Is that the doesn't? new thing? Oh, I made a Wookiee back there. <laughs> you are growing up in a time where special effects seem to be the whole reason they make movies nowadays. How do the special effects in this compare to what you see nowadays? Now, knowing, of course, that things were a lot more primitive back then, it's probably a lot easier to animate things with computers and stuff nowadays. What do you think of that? Well, nowadays it's all done totally separately than just added in at the end. And back then it was really, it was like a whole process. It was like, it was an art form. I mean, it kind of still is if you're passionate about it. Oh, absolutely. It, 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 was, it was an art form back then, you know, going frame by frame, adding in the light for the lightsabers, going into the blasters, even like the little stuff, like when they turn off the lightsabers, it's more, it's, you can kind of see how it's done. Nowadays, it's kind of, it flows a little better, which, sure. you know, you can't complain about that. It's more but, seamless. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The special effects from Star Wars, they, I mean, I really still think they hold up. Yeah, it's amazing, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. How were they able to do all that? It's pretty amazing how creative, you know, and of course, George Lucas has done special editions where he's, you know, added things, which are really unnecessary. To me, it's almost like painting a mustache on the Mona Lisa. Oh. I'm serious, you know? Yeah, this yeah. Is, this is a moment in time that doesn't need enhancement. And when they uh, do the giant walking creature in the most Eisley's for the transition yeah. to oh, the to yeah. the Stormtrooper cut, that's just disgusting. Yeah. It's just, <laughs> you're it's you're watching it, you're like... Why is there a big what? thing walking across the frame right now? <laughs> well, didn't I hear, though, that George Lucas put in those kind of things because he said that was his whole vision for the movie in the beginning, but he couldn't do it back then? Maybe. So once he had the chance to add in, he did? Yeah, but did it really did make maybe? things better? The only yeah, thing I could I mean, see, listen, adding the Praxis wave to the explosion of the Death Star, like, I'm okay with that. You know, it makes the, the explosion bigger and mm -hmm. more amazing. That kind of stuff is Spoiler cool. Spoiler alert. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Hey. Hey, if, you, if you've never seen Star Wars, God help you. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, lordy, lordy, lordy. If, listen, listen, if you've never seen Star Wars, you're not listening to this. So. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, so some of the stuff is okay, I guess, if it makes the scene better in some way. But just to throw like a random creature in there for no good reason, I don't get that. Right. And another thing where they added in the remasters, there's a one of the greatest movie goofs. It's one of the funniest. I say midway through the movie, mm -hmm. C-3PO and R2-D2 just came out of the closet, the storage closet. <laughs> <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> They're not Bert and Ernie or anything. <laughs> <laughs> and the squadron of stormtroopers is marching up to uh, to R2-D2 and C-3PO. Mm -hmm. One of the stormtroopers is too tall for the doorway. Right. So he clunks his head right. on the doorway, keeps walking, and the scene continues. Right. It's not really noticeable, but in the remasters, George Lucas added a clunk. Yeah, like a, a, a hit, the sound <laughs> of him hitting his head. Because they couldn't take it out. So why not just enhance it? And the funny, <laughs> the funny thing is, like, why, why bring attention to that? Right, though? right. This is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so George Lucas came up with the name R2-D2 during post-production uh, of American Graffiti, actually. Uh, one of the sound crew wanted Lucas to retrieve reel number two of the second dialogue track. In post-production jargon, this came out as, could you get R2-D2 for me? Lucas liked the sound of that and remembered it when he wrote the script. He must have carried a little notebook around with you them. Know, mm, you know, Wookie, that's interesting. Oh, R2-D2. You have to use that one day. Well, I think a lot of creative people do <laughs> that, that you know. 
Uh, I think, you know, songwriters certainly carry some sort of a, you know, either a notebook or a recorder, something that if they get an idea, they, you know, they yeah. can jot it down because otherwise you forget it. Yeah, because also the word Jedi mm-hmm. he heard of ahead of time because mm-hmm. it comes from the Japanese words Jedi Geki, which translates as period adventure drama. Uh-huh. And that's a Japanese TV soap opera set in the samurai days. George Lucas actually mentioned in an interview that he saw one of these programs on TV while in Japan a year or so before the movie was made, like the word. Yeah, so so. In, in the Lucas notebook, it must have gone. Where is that notebook? <laughs> <laughs> wonder if Disney owns that, too. Wow. <laughs> so George Lucas uh, also originally wasn't going to use Anthony Daniels' voice for the voice of C-3PO. He only changed his mind after a suggestion by Stan Freeberg, who's one of the actors considered as Daniel's replacement. C-3PO was originally supposed to be like a used car salesman, if you could believe that. What's it going to take to get you in a new Landspeeder today? You know, <laughs> something like that, maybe. I don't know. Interesting. In Fanboys, one of the characters' dads is a used car salesman. Maybe that's why. I wonder. So Luke's original last name was going to be Starkiller. Which is very odd. Yeah. I think I read a comic with like Starkiller or something. Yeah. Luke Starkiller. (laughs) Lucas had second thoughts about that and changed it to Skywalker. Starkiller would later be used as the name of the Sith Apprentice in Star Wars The Force Unleashed. In honor of Lucas, J.J. Abrams named the First Order base seen in the upcoming Star Wars movie, The Force Awakens, Starkiller Base. So there you go. Yeah. I couldn't imagine him with a Starkiller name. Yeah. I mean, he comes from a farming family. Yeah, Skywalker's is better for whatever Yeah, Skywalker, Skywalker is cool. It's so yeah. cool. Yeah. Do you remember? Okay, everybody, let's just think about the very first time Luke has that scene where he walks over and he looks at the two suns. Yes. The two setting suns. Mm-hmm. My mind was blown by that. Mm-hmm. Anybody else? Yeah, I mean, the two suns is uh, <laughs> it's iconic. The two suns, that's so cool. It totally was, it, iconic. And then I thought, wow, it must be very hot there. <laughs> <laughs> so, um... When this movie was in the process of of being shopped around and everything, it was a who's who of pretty much every popular actor and actress of the time was being considered or auditioned for this. So we're going to really quickly run down some of the people who turned down roles in this movie. Oh, boy. (laughs) It's a long list, so really quick. So James Caan, Jack Nicholson, Robert De Niro, and Burt Reynolds turned down the role of Han Solo. Kurt Russell, Nick Nolte, Christopher Walken, Al Pacino, Chevy Chase, Steve Martin, Bill Murray, Robert England, yes, Freddy Krueger, Sylvester Stallone, John Travolta, and Perry King were all candidates for the role of Han Solo as well. Sylvester Ew. Stallone. Sylvester Han Stallone. Solo. Remember, he's coming off of Rocky. Yeah. All of a sudden, he's the big thing. So. Sure. Uh, Chewbacca. Uh. <laughs> hey, yo. Chewbacca. Hey, yo. Punch it, Chewbacca. <laughs> 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 so George Lucas also wanted to stay away from any actors that he had previously worked with in other films. So Harrison Ford, who was in American Graffiti, read the part of Han Solo for screen tests of other characters, but wasn't originally considered for the part. During the screen tests, Lucas realized that Harrison Ford was perfect for the role, and that's how he got the role. So. That's right. Now, see, you know, when I've had auditions, you know, when I'm directing a show, people will come out and write what parts they want. And I'll read them in the scene. And then sometimes, yeah, when they're, you know, reading something else in another scene off of somebody else, all of a sudden you just look at them and go, that's the person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can I, mean, I can see that happening. And, you know, every time we talk about casting and, and who could have been and so on, I can't imagine anybody but Harrison exactly. Ford playing oh, Han course. Solo. He is Han Solo. Absolutely. PJ Souls, Sissy Spacek, Nancy Allen, Farrah Fawcett, Glenn Close, Barbara Hershey, Bernadette Peters, Bonnie Bedelia, John McClane's wife in Die Hard, Diane Weist. 
Margot Kidder, Jessica Lang, Meryl Streep, Sigourney Weaver, Sybil Shepard, Christine Lottie, Jane Seymour, Angelica Houston, Catherine Hicks, Christine Baranski, Kathleen Turner, Deborah Winger, and Gina Davis all auditioned for the role of Princess Leia. Oh, 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 could you see Kathleen Turner doing Princess Leia? Help me, Obi-Wan. You're my only hope. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. <laughs> You're my only hope. Yeah, I can't do it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Linda Blair, Pamela Sue Martin, Teresa Russell, and Jill Clayburgh were considered as well. Wow. Or Princess Leia? Yeah. Again, Carrie Fisher. Perfect. Yeah, exactly. Just awesome in the role. It's funny. The first three names that I mentioned, PJ Soul, Sissy Spacek, and Nancy Allen, all from the film Carrie, which was directed okay. by Brian De Palma the year before Star Wars came out. The guy who said that this worst was the movie worst ever. movie he'd, he'd ever seen. Yeah. Yep. TIE fighters that the mm-hmm. Imperial forces fly. Yes. The light attack craft. Yeah, yes. <laughs> you know, I always thought they were called TIE fighters because they look like bow ties. Thank you. They're not that, though, are they? Twin ion engines. Who knew? It's an acronym. <laughs> yes, who knew? <laughs> Apparently, George Lucas is not a great director either to work with. That's right. I heard that he was a little uncommunicative towards the actors. Yeah. And his uh, directions would be either faster or more intense. And at one point, when he temporarily lost his voice, the crew provided him with a board with just those three words written on it. <laughs> <laughs> he just pointed. Yeah, faster. Depending on what More he intense. Darth Vader was the first character that George Lucas created for the story, but he only has 12 minutes of screen time in this film. 12 and minutes. That's mind-blowing when you think about it. You know, the movie's about two hours or yeah. so. And there's only 12 minutes of, of Darth Vader on the screen. And, you know, uh, we talked about this with the Jurassic Park podcast yeah. a while back. That the dinosaurs are only on screen for about the same amount of time. And Darth Vader's so iconic. Oh, he's, it's, it's crazy. He's the yeah. whole movie. I mean, even with him, like 12 minutes, and that even includes like when they're showing him in the, the fighter and everything? Yeah. Wow. Well, that's what I read, so it's got to be true, right? Yeah, I mean, that's a character <laughs> who makes an impression, huh? Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, there's a little bit of interesting information about the name Darth Vader. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're going to go back to the Pitch Perfect. Pitch Perfect podcast, people! <laughs> Dark... Father, right? Yeah, something like that. Something yeah. like that, yeah. In German, it's Vater. Right. Yes. But in Dutch, Vader means father. There yeah. you, thank you. The word Vader is close to the word for toilet in Italian, so he, he has a different name in the Italian version of this. Oh, that wow. is fantastic. Yeah. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to know about any dark toilets. So the two actors who played Darth Vader, James Earl Jones as the voice and David Prowse as the, uh, the physical form of him, uh, they've never met, wow. which is kind of interesting. Okay. Huh? When you know the movie originally came out, James Earl Jones specifically requested that he not be credited as the voice of Darth Vader. At the time, he said that he felt that he had not done enough work to get the billing. But later on, he admitted that he didn't want his name associated with the film because he was still kind of an up-and-coming actor, and he thought that he would be typecast. Oh wow, the voice. Yeah, the he voice. does. He I mean, does his receive. Voice is amazing. He is credited um, in the sequels and in the 1997 special edition because by that time everybody knew that it was him. So, and it's interesting that David Prowse was still disgruntled more than 20 years after the film's release about the fact that his voice was replaced by James Earl Jones. Oh my gosh! If you want to look up something funny, go on YouTube. Uh huh. Type in in the search box Darth Vader's real voice or something oh, like yeah. that. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And you can see clips from a behind the scenes thing or whatever of David Prowse actually doing the dialogue in the Darth Vader outfit. It's really funny. For the scene in which Luke and Leia swing to safety, Carrie Fisher and Mark Hamill performed that stunt themselves, shooting it in just one take. That's pretty amazing. So Dennis Lawson, who plays Wedge Antilles, my boy. He's the real-life uncle of Ewan McGregor, who plays Obi-Wan Kenobi in the prequels. 
Interesting. That's kind of cool. That is very interesting. The lightsaber sound effect is a combination of the hum of an idling 35mm movie projector and the feedback generated by passing a stripped microphone cable by a television. <laughs> that is oddly specific. <laughs> You know, <laughs> the guy who did the sound effects, Ben Burt is his name? Yeah, mm -hmm. Ben Burt. Yeah, this guy was a genius. Oh, really? Yeah. Because, totally. I mean, what did they have back then? That's just it. You know? you know, like you had to be super creative coming up with all this different stuff. Yeah. And it's, it's really cool. Yeah. The way they did Darth Vader's when he crushed someone's throat. Yes. They did like a bowl of fruit and they smashed walnuts in it. Okay. Just to create the sounds <laughs> yep. of him throttling someone. Nice. Foley artists mm -hmm. on a film mm -hmm. are, are some of the most unsung heroes because they come up with so much creativity mm -hmm. to make things come to life on the screen. It's it's really amazing. Yeah, super cool. And wasn't um, Chewbacca, wasn't that a, a bear sound? And like yeah. large and, and, mammals? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, Ben Burt said that Chewbacca makes uh, all these different sounds. They, they came from a couple of different uh, large mammals. Mostly bears. Yeah, yeah. There was one uh, particular zoo kept grizzly that was uh, an invaluable source of Chewbacca sounds, as he put it. <laughs> so, and R2-D2 sounds are, are various people, mostly Bert, making baby-like sounds. And, and sometimes actual recordings of babies electronically manipulated to sound mechanic. Babies, wow. Peter Mayhew, who plays Chewbacca, by the way, uh, worked as an orderly. Wow. In a hospital in, uh, in Yorkshire. <laughs> And he won the role uh, 10 seconds after meeting George Lucas just by standing up. Well, there you go. Seven Plain. foot two. Oh, I got my Wookiee. There yeah. you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I made a Wookiee back there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and he's seven foot two. <laughs> of course, the big thing is R2-D2 with the message, help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope. Mm -hmm. Princess Leia doesn't ever actually meet Obi-Wan Kenobi. Oh, that's right. It's just kind of odd. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she chose him because he served her father in the Clone Wars. Right. The only time they've come close is um, Obi-Wan and Darth Vader are fighting right. while the gang is all running <laughs> to the Millennium yeah. Falcon. The peanuts. Right? To <laughs> yeah. escape, right? Yeah. This movie is another great story of a guy gambling on himself. That was one of the things about Rocky that, that really blows me away, you know, which I talk about in the Rocky podcast. The very first The one. very first podcast, Good podcast. for Rocky. But George Lucas took a real gamble, and he waived the normal writer-director fee and asked for a mere $175,000 plus 40% of the merchandising rights. Now, merchandising was a big failure for Dr. Doolittle in 1967. So studio executives were going, oh, that sounds like a good deal for us. Sign it. Of course, Star Wars uh, <laughs> merchandised it a little bit better than Dr. Doolittle. Just a little bit. <laughs> A little bit. In fact, Kenner Toys signed on for the merchandising shortly before Star Wars opened, thinking that they would have, you know, kind of a modest line of toys. Nobody really realized how much of a hit this movie was mm -hmm. going to be. So they actually didn't produce enough toys to handle the demand for Christmas. And they were giving out like empty boxes with a kind of like a rain check in the Aww. box. Oh, that's so sad. That's it a is. box of disappointment. Yeah, I guess if you're a kid, you know, that, that would totally be a disappointment. That would, oh my God. I think it would imagine? be cool. I wonder if there's a collector out there that has one of these empty boxes oh, with, an, with the thing, the, the note in there. That would be amazing. That would be cool. Yeah. I mean, it's not cool, but they it's, got it's it. It's with but... George Lucas's notebook. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. The cool thing about, the, about George Lucas's gamble is that the money that he made from the merchandise allowed him to kind of free himself from the, the studio system. He was able to make the other movies completely independent of the studio system. Uh, that he wasn't really a big fan of. So he financed Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi himself with Lucasfilm. He ended up having to take out a bank loan. I'm going to talk about that in the next podcast. Okay. But 
That's amazing. That's yeah. Who would have thought? It's funny because you know, for a guy oh, that thought course. the movie was going to be a flop, yeah, to gamble on like toys being a big seller. I know. You know, so it came out in '77. It's 2015 now, so that was like you know, 10, 38 years, 15 yeah. years oh. ago. Thanks. <laughs> <Thanks> a lot. <laughs> and like there's still Star Wars official merchandise. Like Party City is selling the costumes and you know, yeah. there's oh, yeah. sheets. It's bigger there's... than ever now, are you kidding me? Man. And with this new movie coming out, forget it. It's like Star Wars is gonna be part of Americana forever and ever. I, I mean, mean when it's great. We, when we were kids it was a big deal if you had a lunchbox. You know, but yeah. now you could like do your whole dorm room and Star oh, Wars yeah. stuff if you wanted to. Pitch, Pitch perfect. perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, uh, um, it's. I think it's always amazing when something comes out in the world that pretty much the whole world like latches onto. Mm-hmm. And Star Wars, without a doubt. I mean, with a tractor beam. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's probably people in the world that don't really like Star Wars or don't care about Star Wars. But let's face it. The majority of the people in the world, you know, even if they're not huge fans, can relate. I'm sure they've heard of it. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I think the entire world has heard of it. Oh, the entire even world has heard of it. people who live under rocks. Yeah, the entire world has heard of it, without a doubt. Yeah. I think the entire galaxy has heard about it. Ooh. Ooh very nice. <laughs> so, uh, the following characters have said, I have a bad feeling about this. Nice. <laughs> My favorite line. Yeah, it's a recurring thing. Obi-Wan Kenobi in episode one. Mm-hmm. Anakin episode two. Obi-Wan again in episode three, Luke in episode four, Han in episode four, Leia in episode five, and C-3PO in episode six. That's right. The question is, who will say it in episode seven? I wonder. This is also the only Star Wars film in which neither Yoda nor Palpatine make an appearance. Okay. Yoda is not mentioned as the character has not yet been created, and Palpatine, whose name is never said in the classic trilogy, is mentioned but referred to only as the Emperor. Oh, that's right. I mean, later on we know he's Emperor Palpatine. Right. So according to the exhibit at the Smithsonian, the sound of a TIE fighter is created by combining the squeal of a young elephant with the sound of a car driving by on a rain-slicked highway. Ben Bird is crazy. (laughs) That is totally crazy. (laughs) That's amazing. I would love to, like, be in the room with him while he's creating all this. Can you imagine? That'd be fun. He created the sound of Darth Vader's breathing by placing a small microphone in the second stage, the mouthpiece of a scuba regulator, Mm -hmm. and then recording the sound made by his breathing through the regulator. So the sounds of the lasers were made by striking a metal wrench up the steel reinforcement cables of a high-voltage electricity pylon. That sounds dangerous. I was going to say, it does. Aren't those those long lines of power pylons that crisscross most countries? Yeah. Yeah, so there's electricity going through them. Yeah. Let's just take a metal wrench and whack <laughs> it and not? see what happens. Someone's in their house, their lights are flickering. Like, hmm, I wonder if Ben Burt's making a Star Wars movie now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so George Lucas had ILM designers watch archival footage of World War II dogfights as a reference point for uh, the final battle over the Death Star. That's kind of cool, actually. That's super yeah. cool. Yeah. And, and that, it really does lend itself. Like when you watch the, those scenes, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it really does feel like a, a classic war movie. It's yeah, pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher are of Swedish and Jewish ancestry, respectively. In prequels, their parents would be played by Hayden Christensen and Natalie Portman, who also have Swedish and Jewish ancestry. Very interesting, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Man, the connections in this movie are real. Very cool. It's cool, Very right? Very cool, yep. I love the fact that there was cardboard cutouts used. <laughs> Because their budget was only $11 million. Oh, yeah, you know. <laughs> like so for some of the background starfighters in the Rebel hangar bay, 
were cardboard cutouts. And also what I did not know was that most of the crowd watching the heroes receive their medallions in the final scene. Cardboard cutouts. Yeah. I couldn't tell. Hard to tell. Yeah. By the way, why didn't Chewie get a medal? What the heck? He is the first mate of the Millennium Falcon. That's by God. the hamburgers <laughs> up with that. Yeah. I would just like to say that this movie's been a part of my life for a long, long time. And now to have my son even more into it than I ever was is just so cool to me. All right, Mom, let's have a nerd off right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right, you would win. <laughs> but, you know, when I was a kid, there weren't, you know, like, you know how you have all those books and everything that's like extra reference? I have many of them. Yeah. You know, like now, that now, didn't of course, exist when I was a kid. You can go online, too, and see all kinds of stuff about Star Wars, too, probably. I Wikipedia. couldn't go online when I was 11. Did you just say Wikipedia? That is the official Wikia of Star Wars. Wikipedia? Wikipedia. I love it. That's great. <laughs> so uh, how excited are the two of you to see Episode 7? I am psyched. Beyond. Beyond you're excited. You're finally going to see probably what's going to be a real Star Wars movie in the theater. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Real, thanks. <laughs> As opposed to that, that Phantom Menace crap. <laughs> Guys, thanks for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you. You're welcome. And we'll have to do another one together again soon. Yes. If you have any questions or comments, please email screenfacts at yahoo.com. You can also tweet me at Jason Davis Voice or facebook.com slash screenfacts. Also, please rate, comment, and subscribe on iTunes. If you've enjoyed this or other episodes of the podcast, please tell people. Let people know about it. Help us spread the word. And thanks again also to our announcer, Kim, from kimsvoice.com. Again, it's K-Y-M-S-Voice.com. Thanks to you for listening. Check this out. Screen Facts with Jason Davis is a production of Jason Davis VoiceOver. Please visit jasondavisvoice.com if you need a voice for a commercial, narration, promo, internet video, e-learning or training program, and more. Click on the podcast page to purchase a t-shirt and support the show or get information about where you can download and listen to past episodes. Listen again next Wednesday for a new episode of Screen Facts with Jason Davis. Jason Davis.